this is Nacho Pesci. And uh, maybe you're listening to the Sassos, maybe you're not. With Jamie and that stuttering fucking prick, Pete. Hey, Pete, why don't you go get your fucking shine box, huh? Yeah, fucking put a hole in the back of your head, you fucking stunad. Hi, this is Zach Sikora, SVP of sales at people.ai, and you're listening to the Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. Jamie, Jason, and Pete are SAS Sherpas and are more than happy to share their knowledge with you. Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. You like that, SAS Sherpas? Yeah. Today, and Jason it, and Jason is missing us today because he's in Napa on a 25th anniversary. So that, that is no excuse to miss a podcast. Yeah, he should be drinking and, years. and joining us. Yeah. He's still on his first wife. Today mm-hmm. we're joined with very special guest, Zach Sikora, SVP of Worldwide Sales at People.ai. Before we get to Zach, this episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, athletes, get a doodle of your noodle. That's a brain map before the season starts so you have a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup before the season starts. Visit neuronoodle.com. Hey, man, look at Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka. They're getting their doodled, noodled. Mental health is a huge component today and of the Olympics. Huge Huge. topic. Huge, huge. Carney. Yes, Pete. Carney. Come on, get on it. Carney. Yes. What does a lemon say when it answers the phone? What? Come on. Yellow. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Don't hold that joke against us. Shout outs. Edmund Bonte, new gig at chorus.ai. Uh, I, the, the only shout out I have is I, I noticed Doug Hudak, our very own uh, Doug Hudak, uh, just recently switched jobs, I guess four months ago, but I never got a, um, a notice. That's because so, I gave him a shout out, but go ahead. Oh, you did? Hi, Bright. Maybe I, maybe I missed that call. Maybe that was the one of well, the ones Well, go ahead. Give missed. him another one. I'm sure. Well, I'm going to give him a shout out. So he's now over at Hive Bright and he's hiring. So give him a shout out. All right. Happy birthday, Duff Rice, Duff Entertainment, Ravenswood Events. Way to go, man. You're still alive. All right. News, mental health issues and athletes. We just touched on that. The Olympics. You got anything on Simone there, Karnak? No, just it's crazy how... People are weighing in on her. Let her be. Are they giving her grief because of the tattoo or they thought she had hubris or what? No, I think they're just giving her grief to give grief. We're such in a weird society now that if you do something. A, tro- a troll society? Yeah. It's easy to troll from your couch. All right, Carney, how do you know this guy, Zach? Give us, give us a little All right, background. So, Zach, thanks for joining us. So, Zach and I just recently met. As uh, People AI, him and I went to dinner, I think a couple weeks ago. It was my first dinner out in a business function uh, at Gibson's um, in Rosemont. I've never been to Gibson's in Rosemont, uh, but it, it's very similar to the Gibson's uh, downtown. Ha- and half, so, of the, half of the old Cubby Bear staff is over there. Hey, Jose, yeah. Kenny, Moran. And so Get, when continue. we were talking, so Zach's been hiring a lot of people over COVID. In fact, he... He's just getting out there on the field because he hasn't met a lot of these people that he hired in person. And then uh, he was talking about how he views sales and buckets things into three, as well as people AI, which I think is a phenomenal tool 
um, that gives a lot of insights into all of this. So I thought, hey, he'd be a perfect guest to bring on our show to talk about all three of these things or wherever this conversation goes. So Zach, you want to give a little background history of yourself? Uh, the world's your oyster right now. Go ahead, give a little introduction on, on who you are and how you came to be. Yeah, so uh, Zach Sakura, as we already know, I'm the SVP of sales at people.ai. We've been there, I've been there about two years. The company's about five years old. Uh, and my interesting journey is I joined People AI about 90 days before this global pandemic called uh, COVID hit us. So it's obviously been a, a really interesting journey of getting there, trying to figure out where the water cooler is. And then all of a sudden having this global pandemic hit us and trying to figure out how do we grow this company? How do we scale? How do we service our customers? How do we do it from a, a remote world compared to a traditional enterprise go to market of get in front of customers and going to dinners at Gibson's? It's, it's been a uh -huh. whirlwind uh, for us like everybody else over the last year and a half. I think what's fascinating also is some of the companies have been around a long time. And when the, when the switch to remote happened, a lot of people maybe are experiencing, they experience layoffs and a switch or, or a change of business a little bit. But People AI, how long has it been around? Five years, but it's in growth. It's a growth startup, right? You coming on board 90 days before and being in a growth startup and trying to grow sales when you don't even have like a foundation really. I'm not trying to say a foundation, but you don't really have like uh, something to fall back on. You guys are a startup. You got to fight for every uh, dollar and stuff like that. It had to have been very difficult just to maneuver through the last two years, right? In that climate. It, absolutely. But one of the things is, you know, we've heard this term over the last couple of years of digital transformation. And sales has really gone through, go to market's really gone through a digital transformation because the days of having a Rolodex and walking a hallway and saying, hey, bud, let's go get a couple of beers, which a lot of sellers have traditionally always done and been very successful, has gone away. And so people have had to figure out how to use new tooling like Zoom to be successful and build champions and get to economic buyers to figure out how do they still do their day job. And so one of the things that People AI does is we track all of that activity and start being able to figure out higher probabilities of who helps you get a deal, what are the activities you need to do. And so one, the market has actually gravitated towards us because of that. And second of all, we eat our own dog food. You know, if I didn't have people AI as I was trying to navigate the last year and a half, I, I don't know how I would have done it. So uh, yeah, it's been a massive challenge, but it, it's also been an opportunity for us both as a company and as a sales org. Hey, why don't you explain to the audience what people AI does? I mean, I know it. Sure. I, I only know it from you guys, but I'm a huge uh, advocate of it. Why don't you explain how people AI works, especially I think what's really thing you want to hit on when you're talking about this is how it can go back and look at two years worth of history and bring that, that trend and a historical knowledge that you might not have today. Yeah, absolutely. So think about an enterprise and think about a go-to-market organization. The biggest investments they arguably make are in Salesforce and marketing automation, whether it's Eloqua or something like that. But the challenge is for those tools to really work well, you need data. You need things like contacts and activities. So not only that uh, those, those systems are full, but then people like marketing or leadership or first line leadership are able to be able to do their job. Because when you have this big file cabinet with no files in it, which Salesforce in a way kind of is, 
it's kind of useless. You, you need the data inside. So the basic concept of what People AI does is it instruments all your go-to-market people, meaning all your sales, all your SEs, all your customer success people that are chatting with customers on a day-to-day basis. We extract all that data, all the people they meet with, how often, what title, and we automate that into Salesforce. So we put it on the account level and we put it on the opportunity level, which is really hard to do. And then all of a sudden you get to start doing really cool things like what are the behaviors that you know increase your probability to win a deal, whether it's a product, whether it's a certain segment. Uh, It allows you to start thinking about who are your actual buyers? Who are the personas you really sell to? And not only do we do that day one once you start, but to your point, Jamie, we go back two years in history. So we're able to collect all that data and do really cool analysis around win-loss. So if you have one X amount of deals or there's certain common things there, like you need to meet with nine different personas over 23 meetings in a, in a month or a quarter, does that give you a higher probability to win? So essentially what we're doing is we're extracting that data without asking any of the reps or anybody in the field to lift a finger. We do that automatically. And then we start thinking of like the book or the movie Moneyball. We start creating insights and probabilities that will either help you get tailwind or course correct any headwinds you may have. I think what's the key there is reps don't have to enter this in, right? Because we all know if you have 10 reps, maybe two are great at entering stuff into the CRM. They're all liars. They're all liars. You know what they do? Five they or five are bad. Not to get yelled at. So yeah. if you go to a meeting and there's seven people there, they'll put two in there and they'll kind of half put a phone number and they'll half put a title. But the other five, the company never has. When you think about marketing and how to coach your people and how to go wide, if you don't have that data of those other five people in there, you're playing poker with three out of the five cards. You don't know what to do. And so yeah. I don't think reps lie. I just don't think they put everything in. Well, they're going to put whatever they can in to make sure they don't get griefed, right, from their manager. So that's another thing. Like if you have a huge sales team, like we used to have at our former company, uh, every manager might focus on different things. So every team, when you're looking at the aggregate data, might be all inconsistent on what's been noted inside Salesforce, whereas your tool will note it for them. So save them time, right? It'll make us more efficient. And then the other thing is there's a lot of people out there, a lot of companies out there that sit there and might look at all their opportunities and say, our sales reps are only contacting 40% of the opportunities that are given to them. If you'd say that, they might say, well, we're just not entering in opportunities or any information until we have an opportunity. Your system will allow the higher ups, the management people, the people that are sitting in the conference rooms or on the Zoom conference calls and looking at the data, right? And not on the front lines and say, are we really penetrating this market or are our reps only picking and choosing who they want to talk to because they're focused on how much money they can make today and the easiest opportunities? And do we need to grab some of those leads or some of those opportunities and give them to somebody else. So your tool can help with territory planning, can also help with all the uh, insights and and things of that nature. And I think it's a fascinating tool. Yeah, no, spot on. And and what I really say is one of the things we really give guidance to is, are your people doing activity or they do an activity with purpose? Because a lot of salespeople at the end of the week will say, hey, I went on 12 meetings. But if you met with the janitor 11 out of the 12 meetings and you're not getting high and wide and you're a true enterprise seller, 
you're not progressing the ball. I call that like comfort activity at the end of the week, when you look back and you say, Oh, I was pretty busy this week, but sometimes you need that, that visibility because you're so close to your actual opportunities to have that view that says, I haven't met with an executive in over mm-hmm. three weeks. I've only met with this one person, but I saw a, a very complex solution where I need multiple personas. So to your point, one is just the raw activity, what's happening in the account, but then it's really the next layer down where a leader can help coach and say, hey, Jamie, it's great that you've met with Pete 11 times in the last month, but when are you going to get back to the CIO? When are we going to start having the conversation with the CFO about how to do it? What's our plan to go do it? And as you're a leader, and all you see is an aggregate number of 12 meetings over the last week or over the last month, and you don't have that second layer or third layer of visibility, it's really hard to add value. And that's where there's that friction between leaders and sales because they're like, you're just yelling at a number. You're yelling at the scoreboard. But the leader doesn't have the context to understand where to go focus. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that our platform can help people across multiple different functions in an enterprise, leadership being one, sales ops being one, marketing being one. So uh, it's a very powerful tool. Yeah, I think the only people that don't like that tool are the bullshit sales, the bullshitters of sales, right? They're the only ones that are going to be like, I hate this tool because it calls out all the lies. But um, that happens a lot, as Pete would say. They're all liars, right, Pete? They're all liars. But how, do, how does this help cadence, cadence meetings? And that's, there's so much crap going on. So much time is wasted in that. Does in this help out? cadence calls, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you say cadence calls, is that like an internal – uh, meeting around, hey, we have a forecast call every Tuesday, or what do you mean by cadence? Yeah. So cadence well, to me is I, like a f- Zach's in growth mode right now, so it's, it's a land grab, but because forecasting is so huge. Yep. So so the so the cadence calls, you know, how many de- decision makers did we get? Whatever the stage is, whatever the you know the closing stage is. I think what he's trying to get at is, and you guys can uh, you can talk to the Zach is how you can actually create rules around stages, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the data automation and the insights. That, that's our underlying data platform. But what we're, we're doing as we grow is we're putting applications on top of it that the data foundation is a validator. So what do I mean by that? Where we really focus is around opportunity and account management. And so what you're, you're mentioning, Jamie, is we have scorecards and we have playbooks that will say, hey, in our playbook, we have seven stages and there's certain events or certain people that we want to make sure are part of that stage. And so let's just say in stage four, I'll make something up that you want to meet with the EB by stage four. Our system, when the rep tries to say, hey, I've met with the EB, our system will be smart enough to correlate to say, well, there's no one over manager title that you've met with in the last three or four stages. So therefore you haven't met with the true EB. So the data that we collect is being used to be a validator of are you really able to exit where you're at based off whatever your enterprise's stages are, whatever your exit criteria is. Yeah, and you can customize this and it's native to Salesforce. So you would go through a checklist and say, I've met with this. And then they would say, no, you haven't. And therefore you could not go to the next stage. Uh, I, think an, I think another great thing is a lot of these big deals, when you're dealing with big deals is... Sales reps have to deal with uh, procurement, right? And so when you're negotiating or you're in that final stages and you could say, this is going to close next week, um, we can, you, you guys can, you know, give us the data to say, 
there's been zero emails or engagement with anyone in procurement at this company. And Correct. so that could be an indication. Now it could be an indication that, you know, maybe the company doesn't want you talking to procurement, which is odd. Usually procurement does get involved in the conversations, but maybe they don't. But for the most part, that'll tell us it's probably not going to close in the next week. Yep. Right? The, the, the system will give signals that will say, you know, good things or bad things. Think of a green, yellow, red, you know, and it could be things like flags, like multi-threaded met with an EB met with a certain number of EBs. So it goes back to being customizable to what is the sales process that your enterprise has? What are the different triggers and things that, that you want? What is your methodology? You know, we're a med pick shop internally. So we've customized that to make sure that we're thinking about EBs. We're thinking about champions. We're thinking about the paper process and we're using the activities and the data that we automatically collect as the validator as we go through that. Yeah. Now, Pete, you're, you are a data-driven sales leader. Let's talk differentiation. Depending on your sales cycle, you know, you do stack ranks of who the best reps are. You're ranking sales that the sales cycle could have started nine months ago or even longer, longer than that. What would be another way of ranking your people? Revenue would be a component in there because you kind of want to know who's going to have some future money coming in by the activity that they've done. What's your biggest metric that you look at? Like run appointments. If you're going to, if you're going to have a ranking system, revenue would be, play a role but everything else, the, the activities that you're doing now, they'll turn into revenue down, down the road. What would you include in there, Zach? Just curious. So I think this is where Jamie and I started geeking out. Uh, and this goes back to, I try to put things in threes. If I oversimplify, because regardless of what enterprise you work for, we throw a lot at reps. We ask them to do so many different things on a day-to-day -day basis is almost unfair. So I get people that come to me regardless of where I've worked, they always say, what should I focus on today? And I think there's three things that, that you should focus on. If you think of a sales process, there's pipeline generation, what I also call is just, you got to go get a new door. So that's one thing. The second thing is once you get in a new door, you need to qualify. We call that a new business meeting and we have very explicit criteria around pain, champion, and a path to money. And then once you pass that, you qualify that you want to be in that door then it's how you close that deal and how quickly you close that deal. And so part of what we do is we put metrics on top of each of those three buckets. How much pipeline generation are you doing? How many qualification meetings are you doing? And then what types of meetings are you doing and categorizing like demos and EB meetings and things like that? And I believe it's always like painting a bridge because when you want to try to create predictability in a business, if you're only doing one of those three, you're going to struggle and you're going to have lumpy quarters. You need to make sure once you understand what your metrics are of each of those three buckets is that people are doing those consistently. Because what happens? A rep starts and all they do is pipeline generate to get into a cards because they can't close anything. But then they qualify a meeting and then they work on their first deal and they work so hard and they have so much pride. And what goes down? The pipeline generation. And all they do is try to close that deal. And then what happens once they close that deal? They got to start all over again and it's feast or famine. So back to your question, Pete, is I'm always looking at those three buckets and putting the right types of metrics on those and being able to quickly look at it and saying, hey, Jamie, it's great that you're working so hard on closing XYZ company, but your pipeline's down and because your pipeline's down, you're not qualifying. And so if you want a roller coaster year, that's what's going to happen. You're going to do feast or famine. The best reps 
And the, the most predictable reps always have pipeline and are always consistently moving things through. And that's true linearity. Yeah, people will, will hunt elephants, but man, there's going to be some sketchy quarters if all you do is hunt elephants and you, you let go of the other components of what you need to do on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think COVID really, really uh, highlighted that. Uh, that rule of three, that the, the groups of three, this has nothing to do with people AI. This is just your mentality, which I thought yeah. was fascinating at dinner. COVID, if you have a long sales cycle, um, let's say nine to 12 months, you're probably dealing with COVID right now, right? Your, your, your company, because everyone, when COVID hit, the focus was on the last one, uh, closing the deals that were set to close before the world went on pause for three months. Yep. And we went on pause for longer, but there was three months where it was, don't talk to me. I don't even know what's going to happen. Right. So everyone went to stage three and just said, Hey, I'm just going to focus on what we're closing and I'm not even going to try to create pipeline. And then the world started opening up again. Right. So maybe pipelines getting created, but if you started creating pipeline in, in Q4 of last year, you're probably just getting through COVID. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And unless you had a small sales cycle, like I imagine people AI, your sales cycle is probably 30 days to 60 days, right? I mean, I, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm just- it, it depends on the component of the platform because yeah. it's so robust. But to your point, Jamie, that there was actually a couple of interesting things. Uh, so COVID, let's say, started the world shut down in February of March uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was really interesting in just talking with peers is as they were going three months after it started and six months started based off their sales cycles, people were starting to think about the pipeline that was built before COVID hit, because that was done the traditional old way, however you want to talk about it. And then we all started looking at the pipeline that was being created and who were the people actually creating the most pipeline six or nine months after COVID had started. Because back to what we said earlier, the world had digitally transformed. The days of walking hallways and going to Cubs games and doing whatever, like, those weren't, those weren't allowed or an option anymore. And or it was very interesting to see who had gravitated games. to being able to figure out how to use Zoom, how to use other tooling, how to use their network to go get to the people that they needed to get to that they never chatted. So there's been a really interesting thing in just looking at how Pipeline has been created to your point over the last 18 months because people have had to adapt and change to be able to do that. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a new world out there, guys. So, I mean, the digital, the creation of pipeline, I agree with you. You can't walk hallways. I remember I was with uh, a girl. We were trying to sell um, uh, healthcare uh, recruiting solutions. And we were just, I was with her and we were walking through a hospital's office property and just, she was just knocking on doors and walking in and introducing herself. Yeah. And I was right alongside her and that doesn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> Especially in hospitals, you probably can't even walk in without entire uh, garb of uh, hazmat suits. But you can't do that anymore. And like you and I went, got got dinner um, two or three weeks ago. Like I said, that was the first one. And I usually before COVID, I was usually like, I got too many things. I got too many kids at home. I just I was when you guys invited me, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Like I haven't done this in so long. I'm totally. I'm, it was nice to get out, right? And so. It is a different world out there. And so I think everyone's sort of struggling with right now, those guys that have been in sales for 10 years and COVID hit, they're probably still transforming. I think a lot of companies are going to pivot more to like the machine or, you know, uh, our, our guy, Justin Roth Marsh, um, he, he wrote the book, The Machine. They're going to start moving into 
almost Salesforce. What would you say? You would say, how would we call that? Like sort of the sales um, lean, agile methodology of compartmentalizing sales. I think a lot of companies are going to start moving to that and put a lot more weight into that type of uh, process moving forward. Pete, I know you love Justin, as do I. I do. And uh, we're going to bring him on the show again. I'm just curious, Zach and, and Jamie, this is like budget time, isn't it? We're getting, it is. We're getting into it. that, yeah. Annual planning, yeah. What's what's the T and A look like? Uh, or T and E? Is it travel and entertainment? T and E, T and E, traveling. Ah, Pete, you got some. You got some. Hopefully, your new wife doesn't listen to this. Well, everybody should have a couple wives, but you know, for those unscrupulous souls that go to the to the stripper bars for their with their clients. So it's funny, last year when we budgeted, when I was going through the budget process for T&E, um, it was basically nothing for Q1 of this year. And then we budgeted like 25% return in Q2 and 50% return to normal in Q4. And then back on Q, or sorry, Q4 would be back on full. The reality is basically nothing virtually nothing, virtually nothing. And it's probably 20% right now from where it was to the previous levels. So I don't know what we'll do next year. I would imagine would, would, we're just not going to travel as much. Well, that's probably kind of where I was going. I don't, want any, I don't want any secret numbers here. No, uh, I'm not giving you any secret numbers. I'm you want to give, but is it going to be Zoom or an airplane? That's all I want to know. It'll that's probably- one thing that, that we're, we're going through right now and trying to figure that out. So, so Jamie, we, we did something similar where in the first half of the year, there was very little T&E, and then we put more in the second half of, of this year. Still nothing compared to what we had done uh, in previous years. But I think everyone's debating that because there's multiple factors going on right now. One is, if we could go back tomorrow with a full budget, where would we go? Most people haven't opened their offices yet. Uh-huh. I was in the Bay Area this week, and the 101 in the Bay Area – took me 20 minutes to get from the airport to uh, Palo Alto, which two years ago would have taken me an hour and a half. It's only 15, 20 miles. So people aren't going back to offices. So external vendors like myself, when people do go back, we're going to be the last ones let in. But Jamie, to your point about dinner, like people are open to that. I went to a Mariners game last week up in Seattle. Like people miss connectivity of going back. And so I think there's a, a demand and a desire to go connect over a cup of coffee or a dinner or a ball game as the world opens up. But then, you know, there's the whole idea of productivity from a financial aspect. I can get on calls and be on 13 Zooms in a day. I had people yelling at me yesterday when I was flying back from San Jose to, to my house of like, I can't get a hold of you because you're on a plane. Like we've, we've conditioned ourselves that we're all yeah. supposed to be ready at a drop of a call and at 6.30 or 7 in the morning, you're supposed to wake up. And like, there's no separation anymore. So that's that's the interesting thing I think we're going to try to have, have to figure out as a society and as business professionals in the next six months of people do want to go back. There is something that is just special about being able to shake someone's hand and chat about something compared to over Zoom. But financially, it makes sense to put everybody behind Zoom and the world can like can tread water on by to do it. So it's, it's an interesting dilemma. I think the time of the sales rep going out, scheduling a meeting and bringing 10 people with him so that each of those 10 people have 10 minutes to talk to the client 
is is gone. I think what will happen moving forward is the sales rep will go out, and if they have ten people that they want to bring on the call, all those ten would be on a Zoom in the conference room if they wanted to have one person. So I think the boondoggle trips because my buddy is good, and then you know they go to the places that Pete was talking about. The TNA budget might go up. Those are all gone. Um, it used to drive me nuts at our former company that we would have these road warriors that weren't sales guys that were just traveling around everywhere for 10 minute conversations and then going out to the fancy dinners and, you know, racking up uh, bills right and left. I'm like, you're not even a sales rep. You're just going along for the ride. (laughs) Um, I think those are gone. Right. The cool thing was I remember at our old company, I had too many kids, right. I have so many kids. I call them spares. Uh, If I lose one, I've got spares. Right. Um, But at the same time, we had a role. We had a. Uh, I had access because we had another headquarters down in Atlanta to a uh, a, a computer on wheels, and I could join, jump in on that thing and ride around the office and go into conference rooms and stuff like that. It was hysterical. I would do it every now and then. I felt like a complete geek doing it, but I, of course, and then I got in trouble because I tried to run over a couple people. On purpose, but um, it's still. I think that's where we're going to move to is more virtual meetings, rather than um, and only travel if you need to. Yeah, but who's who's more important to put on a plane? Is it the sales guy or the engineer? Sales guy, or is it both? Sales guy. The engineer could do it over the phone. Yeah. Solution engineer could do it over the phone. And 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 in fact, what really happens is, let's say you have fifty or hundred solution engineers, these pre-sales, these technical wizards. Uh, they're more, uh, they're going to hurt your growth of your company if they're stuck in an airplane for three hours because another sales rep, let's be honest, if you have 50, there's probably 10 really good ones and 40 that are okay. And the 10 really good ones might be stuck on airplanes all the time. Well, you want the really good ones to be on as many of the big calls as possible. And the more, the more they're traveling and stuck in and commuting time, the more you're going to have to deal with the 40 okay ones. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Jamie. Also, just thought of your your ratio of reps to SEs is usually something like two to one, four to one, five to one. So you need to have your SEs being able to be mobile because there are going to be more reps that will be yep. on those planes, but they need to typically be more stationed. They can just be more productive because they can cover more reps. Yes. And what happens there is those SEs usually go with the ones that take them out to the best dinners in the past and have the best relationship with. Well, let's not forget our- One of the TNA places that Pete wants to know about what the budget is. By the way, I've never budgeted anything for TNA. You're Irish. I was just going to say, you got to remember, our our SEs are are salespeople as well. They Mm want to chase the deals, right? They're going to line, you know, they're going to want to go to nice dinners, but they're going to want to chase the the deals that are going to be, that it will challenge them, have a chance to close, what will give them recognition. So, you know, they're salespeople as well. Yeah, they're going to chase the deals and whoever gives them capital grill, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, Zach, thanks a lot for getting on the show. Um, I think it's great. I think if anyone wants to follow up with you after listening to this, what should they reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn. It's Zach LinkedIn. on LinkedIn and uh, would love to chat with them. And People AI, if you don't know about it and you're in uh, RevOps, Sales Ops, Sales Leadership, RVP of sales, AVP, you're going to want to know um, about this 
uh, tool and, and, and the data and the insights that they can provide. It's not a forecasting tool. It's more of a relationship engagement meter. What, what, what did you used to call your Pete Jansen meter? What was that thing that you invented? That engage-o-meter. Engage-o-meter. This is truly an engage-o-meter, whereas yours was more of, I don't know what it was. If, if, if you're interested in that, go check out People AI. I highly recommend well, it. We'll have the links in the podcast yeah, we'll notes as well. we'll put links in the podcast. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Souls. On behalf of Jason and his 25-year anniversary, which I call BS, you should be here. Jamie and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. We ask you to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. And if you really, really, really like us, you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. Yeah. Cue the music.